0: You're listening to Cancer Covered.
1: Oncology doctors and nurses aren't always on the same page. But why? You think they'd be easy allies. They both train for years. They both work long hours with the same patients. And they're both so personally committed that they tend to define themselves by their work. I mean, who else does that? So why do they sometimes find themselves at odds? Is it just the natural tension that comes with a demanding job? Or is there a deeper rift that will always divide them? In this episode, we explore the tensions that exist between nurses and doctors who care for cancer patients, where they don't always see eye to eye and why.
0: You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. I am here with registered nurses, Brittany Cook and Kylie Taves. How's it going, guys?
2: Good. Good.
0: Great. I want it on the record that I am outnumbered. Yes, you are.
2: You definitely are.
0: We're talking today about how doctors and nurses annoy each other or when they annoy each other, if that ever happens. Before we sat down, I realized there are some things I don't know about you. How did you guys wind up in oncology in the first place?
1: My background is ICU nursing and so I just had a lot of that probably for six years and I needed a change. Obviously working with ICU I worked with a lot of different patients but I think one that always kind of tugged at my heartstrings was oncology patients in the unit. So when I saw this opportunity for a clinic, obviously it worked better for you know my home life as well but then I just took that plunge into changing my career in the direction so it just worked and now I feel like it's kind of my niche.
0: So the field and the patients really kind of dreary and in. Mm-hmm. I mean, other things, yes. of course.
1: Yeah. For me, I actually had a different college degree
2: in rehabilitation psychology. And when I was doing that, I interned at a place called Gilda's Club. And that was a cancer support community in Middleton, Wisconsin. And that's kind of where I fell in love with all things cancer, whole person care, that kind of thing. So then after I graduated, I went back to school for nursing with the intent to end up in oncology
0: rehab psychology how does one get more than a semester out of uh no pain no gain
2: yeah it was difficult um (laughs) and lots of different trajectories with that undergrad which i did none of so (laughs) that's why i'm here in oncology now
0: i have never done either of your jobs what should i like
1: so i have that different role as the care manager what does that entail So that entails, we work closely more with the MDs and we do a lot of consults. We do a lot of education. We do a lot of follow-ups with different genetic testing, um, your mutation testing. We do a lot of follow-up with patients and we just kind of guide them in a different way throughout their journey. have a lot of communication with them as well as the tertiary centers that they go to for second opinions or surgery, things like that.
0: Coordinating flow and then educating them as well. Correct. Restating what the doctor said better. Correct. That kind of thing. Yeah. Very <laughs> much so. <Cool>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you?
2: I'm pretty much full time in the infusion. So I'm one of the nurses downstairs that does the treatments, gets them connected to their chemo, accesses ports, kind of carries through the orders, essentially. Okay.
0: And how long have both of you been doing that gig?
1: The care manager role I've been doing for two years now. Mm-hmm. And I was in Fusion before that. And me just four.
0: What are some of the challenges, difficulties of your jobs that most people aren't aware of.
1: Oh, that's a tough one. That
2: is a tough one. It's a loaded question. <sighs> um, I think the first and foremost is difficult. You can get some pretty hard news for patients and be part of sad things in their journeys and sometimes feels like a lot of losses. Yeah. So that can be pretty difficult.
1: I think coordinating between the different departments. We rely a lot on the different departments for procedures, scans, that sort of thing. So to do things in a timely fashion, I think that creates a big challenge too.
0: American healthcare is this really crazy quilt of different organizations and processes and stitching all that together. It's got to be maddening. I know it drives me nuts. Yeah. What do you think is an oncology nurse's primary responsibility? Advocacy. What does that mean?
2: Helping them not necessarily make decisions per se, but help them when they verbalize things that they want out of their cancer journey, helping them include other interdisciplinary roles, helping them, I don't know, fight for how they want to fight. I think.
1: Following that. through, I think, with their wishes and fighting for the care that they're getting, making sure that things are being followed through with. Okay. Know, kind of looking out for them in a sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, that's just how we were trained as nurses. And
0: so part of it is making sure the eyes get dotted and the T's get crossed. Part of it is making sure that as you interact with patients and understand them, that who they are and what they want, that their care matches that. And that maybe sometimes if they get misaligned, tweaking it back. Mm -hmm. How do you do that when you detect misalignment?
1: Sometimes you have to take a step back and, you know, especially if a patient is either getting frustrated that you can see if if there's miscommunication. um, Sometimes you just have to take a couple steps back to understand where it went wrong and then Mm -hmm. you can move forward with Either having that direct conversation either with a provider or with a different department or kind of just reassuring them that moving forward, things will either look different or you kind of continue to listen. I think a big part of is listening.
2: Do things
0: get misaligned because patients don't know how to speak for themselves or because doctors presume what the agenda is?
2: I don't know if it's presumption. But a lot of times, physicians will come out with all of the knowledge, the facts, the science, the to do list, the here's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, while that's all necessary and good, sometimes I think patients can get overwhelmed and not necessarily know in the midst of that what to ask for or what that all means for them. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think the misalignment is just a difference in the to do list and what needs to happen and understanding what that means for a patient and then helping that patient get to that understanding so that. journey goes in the right direction for all so i think that's sometimes the hard part
1: agree
0: so are patients aware that they're not quite getting it all in the moment do you think do they
1: know they're overwhelmed and just not say anything or are they i think you have two types of patients i think some recognize that they're overwhelmed that Mm -hmm. they're not taking anything in uh, that they don't understand what's happening Mm -hmm. and some Grasp for even more information. They're like, "Yep, I know I need to do this, this, and this." But then what? You probably can categorize patients into several different areas. But I do think you for sure have the patients that can verbally say, "Stop! I don't understand this." You have some that maybe go along with it, and then you recognize after the doctor steps out that they 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 don't they don't get it all, Um, and which is absolutely fine, you know. And that's where we come in. Mm -hmm. I
2: agree. I mean, I think that's the, you don't know necessarily until what you, I think Brittany said, until the MD walks out of the room, then they have a second to breathe. And then that's when all the questions and all the concerns can come out for some patients. Some take it home and they read and read and read and then they'll go for a little while and then come back with confusion and questions. So it's I think it's pretty independent to each patient and each support system too that they have.
0: It had never occurred to me doctors and nurses, while sitting with the same patient at the same time, might be noticing very different things. So I asked Brittany and Kylie to explain more. Can you tell sometimes in the room that the patient's not getting it? Yes. Like,
1: how? They either nod a lot. The questions, sometimes the questions that they ask, you can tell, or if the doctor likes to use really big words, oh, who, oh, none of us do that, right? <laughs> and so sometimes I have to look at them and just raise my eyebrows and say, "I'll let you know what that means later." Okay. You know, because you can tell they're just like, "Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what this big immunotherapy word means. I don't know what these mutations mean." Kind of taking note for myself to be like, "Let's just step it down a notch, and I'll explain this later." But some patients know to ask those questions in that time. And some, I feel like, think they get it. But when they try to repeat it back, they're like, "I can't.
0: No. So you can see it a lot in in probably their eyes or their nonverbals. Or they're nodding like the kid in the back of the history class that's pretending to get it so they don't get called on, but really doesn't understand a word that's being said. Why don't the doctors?
2: I think, this just crossed my mind actually when you were saying that, is I think that sometimes the difference between, you know, if we're sitting in consults, We're taking the notes. We're listening as we would a family member, as we would a patient, and we're Uh taking down the notes. We're not having to actively think about what we're saying, and that's your job, your role. You know, you're the one that has to come with the plan, come with the information, give the answers, give the hard information sometimes. So I think sometimes we're a little bit more able to pay attention and be receptive to some of those things. Not that our agendas are different from doctors, but just the time that we have and the abilities that we have in the moment to not be the one making the plan. We can just listen. I think that makes it, that's, I think that's really the only thing that's different is we have more of the time just to listen and to write down and to listen for the patient and the family. And sometimes that's not the same always for for MDs.
0: So it's, maybe it's too hard to talk and observe at the same time. Especially when talking
2: about the ins and outs of a a treatment or a diagnosis. I would say I think so anyway.
1: I do think it's the personality of the doctor though, too. (laughs) Say more. Do you want me to? (laughs) I'm asking. Uh, (laughs) I do think there are some doctors that are more focused on the science of it. The how how do we get this? How do we attack it with the science of it? And then you have the doctors that can recognize more of the emotional aspect of it on... Let me explain a little bit further. Let me draw you a picture for visualization. Maybe it's that that's how the doctor learned themselves or, you know, or some doctors can get focused on just more of that scientific where patients just don't get that a lot of times, depending on their background. Mm -hmm. Um, But personality, I think, I mean, everybody hears about a good bedside manner doctor. What does that mean?
2: No, I mean, no one runs into the room, drops off the diagnosis and then says, sorry, I have 16 more patients to see, even though that's normally the case. Like all of the MDs here do a good job despite their their busy schedules, but bedside manner is tricky and it's independent to each MD. So well,
0: there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to do it. And so the communication is challenging sometimes. I agree with you. I think doctors come up short there a lot, myself included. An oncology nurse's primary responsibility is advocacy, education
2: from an infusion nurse role, ensuring that the plan set out actually goes as planned. And that's like really specific Mm -hmm. to even just down to what meds are given and when and that they're given safely. I think that's kind of even an in the moment bigger role. I mean, we take care of patients a lot like more whole person, but a lot of the main role for the infusion nurses is to ensure that the plan that the MD sets out gets done.
0: So what I'm hearing is advocacy, education, Execution. Yeah. That's, okay. That's a
2: good way to put it. Okay. Yep. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young.
0: And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful, and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com events. Brittany and Kylie also suggested that besides simply being more in touch with emotional cues, nurses tend to focus on different aspects of patient health altogether. So I asked them to explain further. When you say nurses take care of the whole person or focus on the whole person, what does that mean?
1: I think we look at a patient in more of a holistic fashion you know we look at their emotional well-being we mm. look at they have questions about diet or alternative therapies like acupuncture or you know supplements uh, exercise those types of things that mm. we can kind of advise on, or we can refer them to other areas that maybe can answer those questions that can complement their treatments and some, you know, kind of going back to more of the scientific thinking of the doctor, I think some doctors like to think more of the scientific what has been proven. And I think nurses kind of look at the whole person as an emotionally, how can this affect them as they go through this? Because mm-hmm. mental health, as we know, is it's a huge thing in someone's life, and it needs to be recognized and also dealt with, especially with cancer diagnoses.
0: I think evidence is really useful for saying we know X shrinks tumors. I think evidence is a lot harder to use to say things like, we know that Z makes people happy. Right. But -hmm. they're both important. One aspect of a a person can be well served with, with, with science. The other parts may not be very well served by medicine. By now, we talked a lot about how they view a nurse's role in cancer care, but I was also curious what their views were about the physician role. So. Let's flip that around. What what do you think is a cancer doctor's primary
2: responsibility? I think treatment decisions, care plan decisions. How are we going to kill cancer? Decisions, making sure that the treatment plan is appropriate for the patient. Yeah. Signing the orders, making sure the orders. And you know, I, when we talked about this, it was kind of touching on what we just said. The difference a little bit is we couldn't do like the nurses. Obviously, we can't do pretty much anything for the patient without the orders from the providers. You know, so it's we can't give treatment unless the provider knows what treatment to give, knows that the orders are appropriate and signs them. You so, can't just
0: decide to do something correct. on your own. You can execute something that correct. was decided to do.
2: Mm-hmm. So we don't always have that kind of autonomy, which is where sometimes I think some of the frustrations can set in because our hands are tied a lot of times even though we know the answers. Say more. So, you know, if a patient comes down and they're having heartburn, we technically can't even just like order PEPCID yeah. without an MD saying, yep, and signing it. So, you know, uh-huh. there's a lot that we know or not a lot that we'd like to do that would be technically deemed out of our scope. So, we need the providers with that in their scope, you know, to maintain treatment, to maintain medications, to maintain orders yeah. so that we can then execute them. But
0: it feels how when you're, you know, something that could be done that you, you just can't, Make a reality without somebody else signing off on it. What does that feel like?
1: I don't know if I necessarily have a certain feeling yeah. with it, but it feels the way it takes from your like autonomy a little bit. But you know, legality wise, we can't do something with that. You know, we can legally give advice, medical advice to go do some things. Mm-hmm. You know, for your bowels or your heartburn and things like that. We can suggest the otherwise, but when they're in the clinic, we can't provide that. You know, we can advise that at home but we can't advise that in the clinic. You, you
0: can't initiate it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. It seems
2: so simple. It
1: really does. Yeah. But
2: it's it's literally a licensing thing. Yeah, I know. So I, I, it's, it. I know that's probably what causes frustration for providers too is because you you might think like, oh, we'll just, you know the answer, just do it, just take care can't. of it. But we you can't always. Not legally. Correct.
0: I, what what I think you said about what a physician's primary responsibility is is, is exactly right. Your, your entire day is... Make decisions. You make decisions all day long. If I was going to summarize what I think of cancer doctor's primary responsibility is, it's making decisions that help patients achieve their goals with regards to their cancer situation, whatever those are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to know what they are, yep. of course. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's just it's just an endless number of decisions. We we do forget that sometimes. when mean you said the frustration comes in the frustration, you know, on, on your end from. I know this thing needs to happen. I just can't make it happen. The frustration on our end, if it's just like, I already have 30,000 decisions to make. Now I have 30,001 and it's not even really a decision. Is Beth said, okay, yeah, I know it's okay. Of course it's okay. Why do you need my okay? Because I need your okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. It's not up to me. Mm
0: -hmm. It's the law. It's the law. But your advocacy role, so you can't decide what the care plan is going to be. Can you influence it?
1: I think so. I've learned like in my role for how much more I feel like I've learned from the doctors. I feel like I see a lot more of that thought process. Mm -hmm. So the more I get educated in oncology, um, I love that I can have that open conversation with the doctors on the treatment plans, asking why not this regimen versus this regimen? Would you consider this? And there has been times where we've had like more detailed conversations with it, whether Obviously, it wasn't my decision or not, but even as far as imaging, you know, suggesting, you know, what about getting this scan versus this scan, you know, part of it, I ask questions just to educate myself too, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's just what made has made me better in thinking as a whole for the patient. But I know that there have been times talking with the providers that we have changed a couple minute things within a treatment plan just for a suggestion. You know, I know the nurses can also be with a lot of the sub cues, treatments coming out too. You know, we're re- reminding the doctor, remember, this is out there for the patient now. So we, why don't we change a four hour chair time into a half hour chair time?
0: Mm-hmm. Because doctors and nurses have different levels of expertise, a power differential is unavoidable. But I was curious how trust played a role in that kind of working relationship. Where do you feel the most trusted by the doctors?
2: I think with knowing our patients. I think, I don't think any MD, like if I came into an MD and I said, hey, this patient really struggles with Benadryl, I'd like to do this. Then I feel that the MDs trust us because we know the patient or we know that you know this person on Fridays likes to do this and can't because their treatments on a Wednesday like would you be okay moving a treatment up a day or two so that mm-hmm. you know they we really get to know our patients and I think that it feels nice when the MDs can say yes to those things and like let us participate in making some of those decisions on behalf of the patient because of how much we're trusted by the patients and how well we know them
0: Is that what usually happens?
2: I'd like to think so. I mean, I think quite often. Okay. Doctors are super, all providers are super receptive. I've always felt that providers are receptive to my requests. I don't know what to call it a request, but
0: tweaks,
1: tweaks, tweaks are the knowledge
2: that I bring the suggestions based upon knowing the patient.
1: I think some of that has to do with though, the relationship between you and the doctor though. I think, you know, when you work here for a while and the doctor knows you, they start trusting mm-hmm. the way you assess a patient. They right. start trusting your thoughts on certain mm-hmm. things. And I think that goes for all specialties, but especially with oncology, I think we're lucky to kind of be here in within a small group to be able to, you know, kind of have those good working relationships with the doctors. Okay. Where do you feel least trusted?
2: I don't know if least trusted is the, is the right, maybe most challenged. Oh
0: yeah. Okay. That's
2: um, is, is going back to, probably, I think probably that, that autonomy piece, just what we can and can't do, you know, or you know, I, I know it's so frustrating that I can't that we can't do some things for the MDs, and sometimes I think the other thing that we sometimes forget is. Here, it's so nice that we have all of these departments doing all of these pieces for the patient. But I think as nurses, sometimes the MDs challenge us to get everything done. Like all of a sudden we're contacting financial and we're contacting the dietitian, and we're making sure the pharmacy has drug and it all kind of seems to swim through the nurses. And then when it doesn't get done,
1: that challenge comes directly kind of right. back to the nurses. I don't know, Brett. do you agree? I do agree, but I also will put this back on personality. Yeah, you think? I do. I think (laughs) the personality of the doctor depends on the trusting relationship and on certain things. Because some doctors like to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Some like to follow through. Do stuff. To do stuff. um, Where other doctors are like, yep, I'm going to give it to the nurse and she'll take care of it.
0: They delegate. Yep. Are you more of a delegator or more of a do-it-yourselfer? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which one am I? I mean, I'm not... I'm a delegate. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would assume that I probably am.
1: Yeah, and a working inpatient, I think mm-hmm. you have that.
0: What do you all imagine a physician's day is like?
1: I can't imagine what a physician.
0: Oh, I God, mean, you have because to. surely you, you do. know. I'm not saying you're responsible for being accurate. I mean, I, I probably came into this with it with an imagination of what your day was like. Probably not accurate. Yeah. do you imagine ours is like...
2: I I feel like it's probably easy, breezy, five patients, two lunches. Yeah.
0: Several cocktails. Yeah,
2: several cocktails in between. No,
1: it's It's not not like like that. that. Oh, I mean, I do... I I give doctors a lot of credit Mm -hmm. because the meetings, the... I mean, just the responsibility of knowing the research that's out there, Mm -hmm. knowing new drugs, knowing... That, oh, this is the way we used to do it even two years ago. Well, nope things changed and we're going to do things a little bit differently. I think between the meetings and, yeah, I mean, 18 patient loads, mm-hmm. sometimes 20, no lunches, no breaks, responsible for your documentation, mm-hmm. signing orders, dealing with the annoying nurses, <laughs> asking question after question about stuff. Dealing with other yeah. providers and providers mm-hmm. too, because
0: and about you know, six phone calls between every patient. Exactly. Has to be signed, and then more decisions right. to make. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Just because you have a physically eighteen patients to see doesn't mean that you're not dealing. And then in basket, that's always got to be a good one.
0: Well, uh, you know, th- they are just different ways to make decisions for patients. So, so I mean, they actually are patient care opportunities, and how you handle those, mm-hmm. and and I mean, especially that. I think getting that right. I mean, sometimes it's just do this Mm -hmm. and it's easy. And sometimes it's, here's why we need to do that. And you kind of explain it because if you actually explain it badly, then you're going to get six more calls on it explaining it Mm -hmm. to make it force you to explain it the proper way. Because smart people are going to go, that doesn't make any sense. Or I need to understand why because I care about the patient. I'm advocating for the patient. So it's pretty well jammed full. Last week I looked down at my watch and I'm like, why am I so uncomfortable? I look at my watch, it was like two in the afternoon, like, oh, that's why
1: I haven't peed yet. <laughs> you know, not since I left home. That's what that pressure is. That's usually a joke among nurses too, that yeah. we don't get uh, we don't get lunch breaks, we mm-hmm. don't get bathroom breaks. Yeah. Yeah. So same for the actors.
0: Yeah. We're all pulled a lot of different ways, yeah. a lot of different stuff. There was one day at the end of a day, packed full of decision after decision after decision. And I consider myself a decisive person and that's regret that part of the job at all. But it's just like, after you've done your thousands sit up, you're you're like, God, I I cannot do another one. I went to a restaurant after dinner to relax and I was handed a menu and and I actually teared up looking at the menu thinking, I cannot mentally make another decision. I, I, I just cannot it's done. I, I, that muscle is plumb wore out. Just bring me the special and whatever it looks like I would enjoy and <laughs> that'll be fine. To hear part two of our conversation, be sure to catch our next episode. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team go to gboncology.com.